<laughs> now let's go, why don't you introduce yourself? All right. Hey, everyone. My name's Annalise. I'm CEO of Social Nature, coming uh, to you today from beautiful Vancouver, BC. And I've been an entrepreneur um, ever since I graduated from university back in 2008. Uh, so it's, it's been a while, but uh, I've, I've run three companies in that, in that time, uh, learned a lot along the way. Um, Social Nature uh, today is a platform where you as a consumer can go to and we can help you make the switch to better for you products on your next shopping trip. So if you're looking to discover healthy, sustainable products. Social Nature and helps you find good for you products. That's right. Yeah. And actually, when we, when we first started talking, Alex, I think you were like, huh, so it's like a product hunt for food, um, which, yeah, that's a short and sweet way of talking about it. Um, so we've grown our community to half a million consumers across North America, and uh, they really love trying and testing new good for you products on our platform. Uh, we work with some of the most innovative customers uh, around the world, um, and uh, they use us to get targeted trial um, and consumer insights along the way. So the company's been running for about five years, <clears throat> five years, and uh, this is my second uh, startup in the kind of good for you product space. It's what I know, it's what I love, um, and I'm really here to inspire as many people as possible to um, make a better choice, uh, lead a better, healthier life, and build a better, more sustainable planet. So you talk about this being your second company in the space. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us, what, how did the first one play into the second one, and what was the insight you had when you started Social Nature? Yeah, good question. So my first company was Ethical Deal, and a short and sweet way of talking about ethical deal is it was like a green Groupon. So it was a it was a daily deal site we launched in 2010, and uh, which I guess I'm always launching in like recessions. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> so I launched that that daily deal site um, in a recession. Uh, couldn't get a job, so I was like, okay, let's let's start a company uh, in a space that I'm passionate about, and I want to help um, you know people make a greener choice. Uh, and I knew at the time that uh, the top three reasons to preventing people from making a greener, healthier choice was price, second was education, third was trust. And so Ethical Deal became this kind of trusted, curated source of um, healthy, ethical, sustainable products and services that you could try at 50% off. Um, and I bootstrapped that company. I didn't raise money with my first company, um, but I did end up selling it. Uh, five years later to a US-based daily deal company. And, uh, and that was a pretty wild ride. Um, we, we hit the market at the right time. So, um, and, and it was a good revenue model. Uh, and so the company was doing millions in revenue in its first couple of years. Uh, and uh, it's kind of rode that, <laughs> rode that wave for uh, as long as it made sense. Um, and really in the um, last year when I was doing my, you know, annual community survey saying, you know, what can I do better? What would you like? Um, I, it was really my community that gave me the idea for, for social nature as uh, they were saying, you know, Analia, thank you for introducing me to the greener choices in my city. Love the organic restaurants, love the natural paths you're introducing me to, but what can you do to help me make a better choice in my everyday life? in my breakfast, at my lunch, when I'm cleaning my hair, when I'm walking my dog, like how can you change my everyday habits? And so that's when we started looking at food producers and, and manufacturers um, and thinking about how we could make it um, easier for people to try those types of products 
um, which ultimately meant a new business model. Um, and, uh, and so that transitioned into, into working with, with manufacturers and doing uh, more product sampling um, related. Uh, so, very cool. So your first product, your customer said, hey, here's another opportunity to pursue that. Um, yeah. Jenny, looks like we got you back. <laughs> yeah. The portables are gone. Sorry about so, the kerfuffle. Hey, it's nothing to do with you. It's technology. You know, you can't trust it. Um, <laughs> Blame it on the me, tech. Yeah. So, Jenny, why don't, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us about Panda, how you got to starting it and what, what you invest in. Yeah. So, uh, my background, I'm an ex-VC. So, I was a, a, a VC at BDC Capital for many, many years, uh, almost 10 years, at, all in Vancouver on the West Coast. So, invested in early stage tech, C, Series A, software, telecoms, um, all sorts of deals. Left BDC um, over 10 years ago now and decided to start a company after I left. So pretty backwards for most founder VC sort of combos. Uh, so I started two companies after that, uh, both using machine learning. The first one was doing anomaly detection on uh, large data sets that was coming out of data centers to look for uh, anomalous operational issues and also for security issues. That startup was sold to uh, Splunk. So Splunk Vancouver here, um, the, the nucleus of start of it was my previous startup. And then in 2016, I started a second company that was using natural language processing for customer support. Um, that one I had a quick turnaround and that exited in at the end of 2017 um, to Vision Critical. Um, I'd been doing angel investing since about 2015, always in very early stage, pre-seed seed, got two little funds, always raised money, um, both for myself and also from friends and people just I know. So I, I've never raised an institutional fund. Having been a VC and worked at institutions, I'm not really interested in raising an institutional fund. Alex, which you're in a different shoes, but um, but I, I, you know, I've, I love investing. I love angel investing. And I've always just wanted to do with people that know me and, and you know, uh, close friends and, and uh, other founders who know me. So we're on to our third fund now. It's a tiny little fund. Um, and we've got about four deals already in our portfolio. Um, we primarily invest in pre-seed seed. We write typical angel size checks, so not very big, 50 to 100,000. Um, we're, we like companies that are deeper tech, um, you know, have a hard technology, uh, bend to it because of my background in, in machine learning and so on. But we, we also do, you know, more traditional software, SaaS software, um, slowly I've been getting into, um, med tech. <laughs> Surprisingly, I've never really invested in medical devices before, but in my previous portfolio, we do have another med tech, um, company, uh, aspect bio, which is here. And they just recently raised the $20 million round. And you and I invested in another yeah. very early stage med tech. So uh, very broad, you know, as, as an angel investor, you kind of invest in just what you like. So I don't have a particular deep thesis, if you will. It's just things that I like. <laughs> cool. And so let's talk about how you guys got together on the first check. Because Anna and Leah, you said you spent, you've done, you're building this business for five years. Mm -hmm. And previously you didn't raise money. So at what point did you say, hey, maybe I could use some outside capital? And how did you go about doing that? And then... How'd you get to know Jenny? And then I'd love mm -hmm. to hear Jenny's perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I when I started Social Nature, I I saw I just saw how it could scale and uh, and the business model. You know, it was it was more scalable than my previous business model for one. <laughs> B. I wanted to have a really big impact, and so and I wanted to have it sooner than later. And so I knew 
that even though I could grow a successful business on my own, that it would take much longer uh, to get there and it wouldn't have as big of an impact. So I thought, you know, okay, what if I could have, you know, supercharged, uh, um, uh, supercharged the growth of my business um, and really, um, you know, create the type of impact in the world that I want. And so now or never, let's 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 get some funding. Uh, and so I I had you know the the track record with my previous business um, that certainly helped open up doors um, uh, and 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 speed along those conversations. I believe Jenny and I met uh, through um, one of one of my first um, investors, uh, Hash, Hash uh, yeah. Pony Fund. Uh, and so we were introduced, uh, and and so and that's really you know how over the the last two rounds, um, often the rounds have come together is is you know one person comes in, another person introduces you, and 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 so it grows. I mean, I've always been an active networker. Um, literally at 15 years old, I used to like flip through the newspaper <laughs> and, uh, and 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 find people that I found interesting. And I would just call them up and go for coffee with them. So I've been networking since I've been 15. So it's so those relationships, um, you know, even though they may not be active investors, I've always turned to told them, you know, what I'm looking for, where I want to go, and they usually put me in touch. Um, you know, the power of the six de six degree connections. So um, yeah, my first round really came together uh, as a result of um, the network, my initial network, and then that network referring um, others into it. Um, and I also participated in an incubator program uh, in Vancouver. Um, it was called Rolab. Uh, it's now yeah. transformed into Highline BC. Um, so uh, that was also a good um, introduction into, you know, how to learn how to pitch, what do investors look for, um, and, and kind of plugging me into more into that network. Okay, first of all, that, that's an amazing story. I think I'm going to take the clip about you uh, finding people in the newspaper and calling people up and share with my kids. It's a very important skill. My kids don't want to talk to people they already know, let alone uh, random people. That's very impressive. So Jenny, why, why don't you give your perspective? So Hash reached out to you and said, what did he say? Yeah. Oh, he just said, Hey, look, uh, I'm, um, you know, I'm looking at this deal, a really interesting lady. She founded her second company. Do you want to talk to her? And I get a lot of introductions from people that I know. And I definitely pay more attention when the introductions come from people that I know than just over the transom, you know, LinkedIn stuff, right? Like I do, I get a lot of LinkedIn stuff. I mean, I do actually look at them, <laughs> believe it or not, but, but then I go, you know, that's really, you know, it's a mining thing. It's not in my, so I don't, I don't reply. Right. But, uh, but the ones that do come to me, um, through network for sure they're well they're better filtered for the type of stuff that I typically like um, I, I you know I loved enjoy I loved meeting Analia I think she is a very strong networker she understood her business you know she was a second time founder as you can tell she's she's very driven um, I love that about her she's she's one of those founders that is passionate about what she does and and just wants to build something you know there, you can just meet founders that just you know they just want to build something and and Analia was was like that at the time I was also very interested in influencer marketing um, there was a big growth in that area so I've been and, and part of Analia model was to leverage influencers right so I really like that uh, about what she did and even though I didn't, I didn't know how big the market was going to be. So that was like, like, you know, it's just good for your product. Is that going to be very big? But because I had so much faith in Analia and, you know, so much of investing, angel investing is about investing in the person. So I'm like, you know what? It's worth a bet. So, so we ended up, 
you know, investing. Cool. And how long ago was that? Was that first from like three, four years ago now? Yeah, it was 2016, I think, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. like maybe mid, late 2016. And so when that round was coming together, you know, what was the objective with the capital? Was it to speed up the company? And and, and, what, and I guess, Annalie, I'll ask you the other thing is, how were you qualifying who the money came from? Did you care? What did you want out of the investors? Yeah, good question. Uh, so for me, it's always been pretty important to have uh, investors that are aligned with the company's mission. So there's been um, certainly along the way investors where that had the same concern, initial concern that Jenny had, which is, you know, is the market big enough? Um, and so the conversation initially, you know, starts to become, hey, what about looking at different markets um, outside of the good for you product market? Um, and so for me, it's important that that the investors I bring on board um, are are excited about the good for you uh, space, um, uh, see the potential with the good for you space, and um, and are not going to, uh, you know, try to try to keep deviating the company from that. Uh, so that's definitely kind of a, a make or break for myself, uh, and I have turned investors away um, that aren't aligned with that mission. Um, and then otherwise, uh, with my first round, I was really also looking for investors that could, you know, play a supportive role in uh, in the company. And so what what I loved about Jenny was that she was, you know, entrepreneur turned investor. Um, and so she, I felt that, you know, immediately she could relate uh, to me more. Uh, and the challenges that come with growing a business, uh, and she, and you know, she could kind of be be more of a, an extension of the team uh, in terms of in terms of how she could contribute. So she wasn't an institutional investor that um, you know was going to give a check and away they go. Um, uh, she was going to be um, you know in, as involved as um, I, I needed her or liked her to be involved. So that's what I was looking for in my in my first round of investors. Um, and uh, the proceeds of the, the the round, it went into growing the team. At the time, the team was quite small. Um, so certainly looking looking to build up the team um, as well. We were expanding into the United States. So um, expansion of, of the business um, and then some marketing uh, dollars as well. But it was really, you know, hiring my first engineers, getting, getting some marketing uh, dollars into the mix so we could build brand awareness in, in the U.S. Oh. So the classic um, product, product and and uh, marketing. Yeah, and we had some traction when when we raised. So we 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 already were doing at the time. Uh, it was around six hundred fifty thousand dollars that we were doing. Mm-hmm. So we had some traction. We had about fifty thousand members at the time. So um, yeah, it was it was to. So you know, very cool. Out. So. I hear you want mission aligned. So I, I imagine I came out of the conversation and you in, in particular with Jenny, you said, okay, this is someone that has experience and can help. So was either of you can answer this. Was there any conversations on how you would work together, you know, where that help would be or, and how, and how, and how's that played out since? I don't think we've not really talked about it. No, no, I don't, I don't recall, you know, as specifically, I think, you know, I, I would ping Analia every so often. It's like, hey, you know, have you looked at this? Or this is happening over here. Or it, certainly if she's fundraising, I mean, for the next fundraise, um, I did help bring some other investors in as well. But um, 
you know, and I've, I've always felt I need to leave that to the, to the founder. So any of my portfolio companies, I kind of say, you know, these are the areas that, you know, I'm kind of somewhat good at. I can be a good sounding board. Mostly I think I'm just a good sounding board for almost anything, right? Um, around strategy, fundraising, um, business strategy, because ultimately it's the founder that is running the company, right? So um, I kind of leave it to them to reach out and I'll ping them every so often so they know I'm still here available to help <laughs> if they need to, but I kind of leave it to them and, and you know, different people reach out to me at different stages for, for different things. It's quite varied actually. Uh, but Analia, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's, exactly. I think it was, it was, I loved, I mean, I just literally, but the first round, like I had people like Jenny, I had like people like Scott Lake, like co-founder of Shopify. Like I have people who like have been building companies I respect that now want to, you know, invest in, in the growth of my company. And so it was, it was really just kind of this like this feeling of, you know, other people who have been there, done that, who, if I had a question, I got my hotline <laughs> um, and, and I knew who I could go to, 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 to ask those questions. And, um, and so, yeah, Jenny's been, you know, every now and then, Hey, here's like an event that you should check out or, Hey, here's a resource that you should check out. Or, you know, if I have a question for her, or if I'm hiring my first executive, Hey, Jenny, you know, here's the offer I put together. What do you think? So it's, you know, it's, it's nothing too formal. It's just knowing that, you know, she, she has the experience that for a variety of things that I can call upon or she'll know someone that does. So, Analia, it sounds like you've been very proactive at calling your different investors and getting them involved. I imagine with every startup, there's always hiccups along the way. Um, have you, you know, how do you communicate that? How do you work through those with your investors? You know, uh, you know, and I imagine first you have to deal with it or you have to deal with your employees and your team, but how do you make sure Jenny or any of the other investors stay informed and what, what's your perspective on communicating that with them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, over the years, um, so definitely, I mean, first and foremost, I need to do my best to address the situation. Um, and, uh, and if the investors can, can help with that, then, then certainly um, I would, you know, call them up uh, and involve them, that, involve them in that. I think one of the important switches I made early on um, was, you know, once you've closed the round, you're no longer in like pitch mode with your investors. Um, so, you know, you can, you can rely on them to, to help um face those challenges and figure out those challenges and sometimes um you know people forget that and they're like oh i can only share good news with my investors like we closed it so now now, now we're in it together and uh, and now we can figure this out together so um with that mentality i've i've been open with with investors i mean certainly if there's um certainly my, my instinct is to try to solve it uh, and, 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 you know, they have their own things to do. Um, but, but, you know, now I'm doing monthly updates for, as an example. So I've, you know, I've closed my second round and, and I'm still just sharing, sharing news, you know, good and bad. I mean, COVID happened and certainly there was an impact yeah. uh, on my business and, and I wanted to, to share that and, you know, keep it real and talk about how we might need to, you know, throw out the 2020 plan and <laughs> start fresh. Um, so just trying to stay, you know, keep ahead of it so that they are informed uh, is really the best practice. And just remembering you're not in pitch mode anymore. So they're on your side. Yeah, maybe I can just jump in and give you an example. So when the whole COVID thing happened back in March, I think 
one of the first emails for any of my portfolio company that I received was from Anna Leah. And she said, okay, this has happened. We're going to have to throw out the plan. This is what I'm doing. I'm cutting this many people. I'm shrinking down the team. You know, I'm going to, my cash is going to last this long. Like she had a, a pretty good <laughs> detail. I'm like, whoa, right away. She just was on it. Right. And I still have companies right now that I don't, I don't know <laughs> what they're doing. Like, I'm like, are you still alive? <laughs> like what's happened with COVID? And they still have, so I think this comes from experience. You know, Annalie has been through it. She's bootstrapped. She knows how to keep a company going. She's tenacious. Right. And she knows when shit happens, you got to make decisions fast. It may be the wrong decision sometimes, but speed trumps everything. Right. So um, she was one of the first, I was super impressed. So there's a bunch of follow-on questions I have based on um, the two answers you gave, but I'll just take the one from Pierre right now. And this is for Jenny. He says, how important are revenues for your early stage investment decisions? Not important at all. Uh, one of the first new fund, new deals I did in my uh, recent fund was a pre-revenue, um, pre, <laughs> pre-product, pre-demo, pre <laughs> pre-everything. Uh, and the kid was how old? 19 when we invested? Oh, 19, yeah, <laughs> so, 20. 19 now, 20. Um, this was a few months ago. So yeah, it doesn't need to be. It depends on what kind of investment it is. If it's a SaaS product or a consumer product, I do want to see some metrics and some revenues. If it's a very deep tech, no, it doesn't need to have revenues or anything. And so um, I'll go back to the answers you gave. So actually, I'll, I'll pick on this revenue um, uh, question here. And Aliyah, like from, from your perspective, you know, you've done two rounds. Was that, you know, how much time did investors spend actually understanding your current revenue or what, what, what was, was that important to them or what was more important in your perspective? And because you must've had lots of questions, you've gone through this. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what, what did investors want, really care about in your opinion? I mean, I've always, ha I've always been a business that when I've raised, I've had revenue. So I can't say I've been in the position where I haven't had traction and tried to pitch. Um, but so investors have always liked that I've had traction in my for my business model. Um, the, I mean, what was interesting about this second raise was I actually had pivoted a little bit in terms of the the, the business model. I I was I was doing more campaign based uh, previously, and I moved to SaaS. So the the business had about six months of track of traction within the SaaS model, um, which which was, you know, pretty new. Um, and so my, my challenge in the second round was really kind of demonstrating that, you know, there was, there was not much, there wasn't much traction with the SaaS model, but that I could manage that transition um, smoothly and, 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 you know, come out the other side uh, with, with a solid uh, subscription-based business. So that was more, more my hurdle than like I had revenues, I was growing um, um, all those metrics were in place, but I literally switched the way that I did business, but, but in, in the investor's favor, of course, investors love SaaS businesses as well. And, um, you know, it made sense for my business to move, move towards that direction. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that's helpful. <laughs> There's another question about valuation investing, but before I get to that, I, I want to pick up on the, you know, COVID. Um, cause again, your model was from what I understand is like sort of product hunt for for um Dude. sorry my wife hi cello you don't have to be shy um is um sorry <laughs> i got this yeah so 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 you're basically helping people find products and then find a way to purchase them right mm -hmm. so i guess i guess lots of stores are closed mm -hmm. um or it's not easy to go to retail so how 
how how do we fundamentally look at the world? Is it hey, so eventually we'll return to normal, and we just have to get through it, or do we have to? Are we have to change our business plan to reflect that this is a? It might be a while before we can get. I can't afford to wait a year until people can go back to stores. And then, how did you get? How did you? It sounds like you were early informed, but what feedback did you have from investors? Yeah. So yeah. So majority of our business has been, uh, you know, pre-COVID. Um, certainly. Get, helping people find products for the next shop, shopping trip. And so that has been mostly brick and mortar. Um, and so certainly when COVID hit, we, that was, that was, that was difficult, you know, a difficult moment. Yeah. Um, and, and so the first thing we did was gather data. So we, we have, we are lucky, we have half a million community members. So we surveyed our community immediately. We're like, Hey, you tell us, you know, are you, are you going to go into the grocery store? You know, how are you feeling? How are you thinking of changing your shopping habits? So we were lucky that we had access to that type of data. And then we did the same thing on our B2B side. And we spoke to over 200 brand leaders in the CPG space. And we said, hey, what's going on for you? What's changing? You know, how are you making um, uh, decisions on marketing and, and other things? So we got data to before we <laughs> um, did, did too much. Uh, and, and then with that, we learned um, really that the future is omnichannel. The future is digital and brick and mortar. It's not 100% digital. Um, yeah. And so that, you know, with that in mind, um, what we did was we sped up on the innovation front and, and we were certainly looking at, at, you know, ways to participate in D2C uh, sampling and things like that. But uh, that was going to be you know, 12 months down the road initially on our roadmap. And so we looked at that in Q2. And so um, now, which is which is cool, the team's, um, you know, figured it out. We have tests running now um, for direct-to-consumer to sampling. We're mm-hmm. doing open up new sampling channels with um, sites like walmart.com, target.com. So retailers, brick-and-mortar retailers themselves are going online and are offering, you know, e-commerce. And so really we can point our community into brick and mortar stores to sample products, or we can point our community to online um, stores, whether it's Brand Direct or Amazon or Walmart.com. So we've become omni-channel, and 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 now when a, when a consumer comes to us, they can choose you know where they want to sample products. If some consumers are definitely comfortable going into stores, depending on the province or state that they live in, and so they can decide to sample products at a store near them, or they can get products delivered to their home. So. That all happened in an accelerated timeline, um, and it's really just given more options for our brand customers and our community to to get products to people. Cool. And just a follow up question here is because it sounds like you went omni-channel, you sort of accelerated your plans. Did you get any feedback when you shared this with investors, like Jenny? Like you know, when you see something like that, you're like, okay, cool. Or do you you reach out with a bunch of questions? How do you react? Um, I didn't reach out to a bunch of questions because I know during COVID, the, the, the founders got enough shit on their minds, right? So um, I, I was just happy that she had a plan because most of the other founders didn't, right? Um, so I think I felt like they need to execute on that for at least a few months to see whether it works or not. Um, I think when right now things are calming down a little bit and I'm checking back in with most companies to see, okay, what's the new normal for them? And, you know, if, if they've taken a new direction, is that working? I think that's when you start to work with them a little bit more. It's just that when they were going through the, the middle of it, they felt like survival, right? And I didn't want to add to, I, I just didn't want to add to any more investor questions that may, may or may not be relevant to them, right? So, yeah, so you say trust their judgment, you invest in them, you trust yeah. them. 
Well, thank you. It's good to be informed. I agree with you. I haven't heard from some founders I've reached out to. I still know, you know, maybe they've decided to just take the year off, which is, yeah. <laughs> but it's good to hear from and you know, you trust them. Cool. I yeah. see a few more questions have come on and it seems to be, um, what if I'll say there's one from John and Arthur. It seemed to be like, okay, you know, how do you value, how, how do you come to valuations and what type of ownership did you need? Um, so I'd like to get this from both perspectives. You know, Jenny, uh, when you're making investment, what, when it comes to finance, you know, the valuation or ownership, do, how yeah. does that play into decision to invest? Yeah, I mean, as an angel investor, you're all, you know, you're kind of following what the syndicate is, or if there's a lead investor, they set a valuation. So we don't have as much say in what the valuation is. Of course, we can always say no to the deal, and, and I have done that. Uh, I've said no to deals because I felt the valuation was too high. Um, but there's, it's, it's, there's no hard and fast rule. You know, I've, I've done deals at valuation that I never thought I would as an angel, but I did because I thought it was just so compelling, right? And and then, you know, I, I see the questions are more around very early stage pre-revenue. I would see I'm seeing valuations in the three to five, maybe eight for a really good team. So it really depends on what kind of team you are, are you experienced, um, you know, then you get a valuation at the higher end. Um, you know, I had a team, I had a founder here who came from a very uh, second time founder, very experienced, but pre-money at a, I think 8 million US with a PowerPoint. And I just, I said no to that because that was too high for me. Right. Yeah. So, but other, I'm, you know, he did raise money. So it, uh, he it's raised, I think I th if it's who I think it is, I, he, he raised from me and he just actually got a, fo a follow on. He probably, yeah, yeah. no, he's, he's experienced good yeah. guy. So it just really depends on, uh, again, angels don't have as much set criteria, I think, um, than, than institutions. Certainly when I was at BDC, we had much more rigorous, I would say, uh, buckets and criteria. But I do know some angels that have much more rigorous buckets than me. Um, I, there's a few deals that I've looked at with other angels, and they absolutely had very strict uh, valuation criteria. Um, and I, I, I'm more deal by deal, I would say. Uh, Analia, I want to flip it to you. You're a founder. You've now done two rounds. Like, how do you think about dilution? How do you think about valuation? You know, mm -hmm. what, what's what's the math going in your head? And I, it's, I'd love to hear it because I think it's just as much a founder's choice as a investor's choice. And I've just had this discussion with a founder today and mm -hmm. I'd love to hear how you think about this. Yeah. So I've, I've, I know that I, with each round, I'm, I'm basically going to be giving away anywhere from between, you know, 20 to 25%. And so my goal is to, um, you know, raise at the right time where where I have enough traction to justify um, as strong of a valuation as, as I can. Uh, and and then, you know, to raise. Not not I've, I've I mean, my last round, I turned away one point two five million dollars. So, like, I had more money. People wanted to invest. And I just said no, because I'd given up in, you know, the amount of equity that I wanted to give up. Um, so for me, it's, it's, you know, that, that kind of 20% threshold that I'm prepared to give up. Um, and so then it's, then it's really thinking about, okay, what's timing wise at the, at the round, uh, you know, what kind of just, uh, valuation can I, can I justify? Um, and, and then how much money can I raise with that? <laughs> um, and usually it ends up working around, uh, 20%, um, that, that you end up giving out. So, um, Think, thinking of that, so and always thinking of your next round as well, and 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 when you need to time that round, and what your what your kind of next realistic valuation could be, so that 
like I literally have a calculator <laughs> and an Excel spreadsheet that talks about that's like, okay, you know, potential exit value. What is that and how does that roll back um, across each and every round? And um, that's how I so I start with the end in mind and I roll back and then I and then I just try not to raise too much money. I mean, I, I come from a bootstrap background, so I've always kind of gravitated towards strong revenue models um, and and then really taking on capital um, you, you know, when it makes sense um, at the highest valuation that I can realistically justify. Um, uh, but also not to like what I'm, what I'm not a believer of um, and, and I've seen sometimes happen and, you know, Silicon Valley of the world um, is 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 entrepreneurs that you know command a really high valuation because they're so focused on like not giving away um, much equity and it's so like if they don't perform <laughs> if you raise like if you're one of your if if your first round or like your second round is valuation of like fifty million like and if you don't perform there's so much pressure and I've seen companies even locally go out, go under because, uh, or, you know, basically get bought out by their investors um, and be left with nothing uh, because of that, because they were just really looking to hold on to that equity and, you know, going after that 50 million valuation really early on and then crash and burn. So, yeah. Yeah, I I can, I can maybe add a little bit more color because I think Analia has consistently not wanted to raise money. And I've, I've think emailed her at some point because like, at some point you were profitable. Like let's raise more money. You're profitable. Yeah. You can get huge valuation. Like my VC hat is on and I want to plow more money. And, uh, but you know, she's, she's resisted that. Right. And then you recently, you raised some money and I think she has a, she has a different mindset than other sort of typical founders. I would say Silicon Valley style, typical founders, uh, much more about building the company, very solid foundations, getting the right business model, getting to as pro- close to profitability as possible. Right. Which is starting to sort of go back into vogue right now, it seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's always had that. And as a result, she can say, look, I only want to give up 20 to 25 percent. That's not typical. Yeah. Right. Most of the deals when I you know, counsel founders, you got to think you're giving 20, 30 to 33. It's like one third. Every round you're giving up almost one third. That's what I typically see in deals. Right. So you're diluting yourself by 30 to 33 percent at each round. So her dilution is much lower than what I typically see. Well, I guess, you know, again, it goes back to having control over your destiny. If you can say no to yeah. money, you're much stronger off. Yes. Um, there's a question from Arthur. I'm going to throw it to Analia because you've bootstrapped it and you've taken money. So, you know, what's – why would you do one versus the other, I guess? Because that's not what he's asked, but he's like, yeah, hey, should I t- raise money or should I go use debt, you know, basically raise – you know, not dilute myself? Hmm. Well, I guess it depends how fast you want to grow, um, and and what your in what your revenue model is. I mean, with with ethical deal, um, the kind of green Groupon for, uh, that I ran, uh, the model it was kind of, it was basically e-commerce. So I was making commission on every single sale that was processed through the website, and that and those dollars were hitting my bank, and I could keep those dollars for thirty days before I had to pay out um, a portion to the vendor. So I was able to kind of quickly grow. My, my, my cash uh, and and my operational overhead wasn't much. So it really depends on your model. But um, uh, I mean, if you, I'm, I'm, I'm pro financing, but I'm also, you know, get to a traction point where you can, you know, justify uh, a 
realistic and strong valuation. Um, and if you're like in deep tech, this probably doesn't apply because you need more resources. Um, although there's lots of government grants as well. Um, but uh, you know, get to a point where where you have traction, where you can where you can you know not give away the farm, uh, and uh, and then always have a really intentional plan for that money. Like what's interesting is when I closed that my second round, I had like all sorts of people, you know, just because you, you you make press about it and the people now know that you're raising and they're like, hey, Henrietta, do you want more money? I'm like, no, <laughs> like, like, I'm like, I'm done. I don't, I don't have a plan right now for, for additional money. So I'm not going to take it. So like, don't just fundraise because you think it's yeah. cool to fundraise or like you want that recognition, like have a plan for the money because you're giving away, as Jenny said, you know, 20 to 33% of your company. Um, and so, and you need to deliver on whatever you're going to do with that money. So don't just take it for the sake of taking it. Ideally, have traction, try to bootstrap and go, you know, a year or whatever to a meaningful milestone. But yeah, there's also tons of government grants. Like I've probably, yeah, I've, I've, I, there's a lot of government grant money in Canada. <laughs> so that can augment your early days, um, especially if you're doing, you know, R&D and innovation. Cool. Uh, two last questions. One from Cheryl, uh, Cheryl for Jenny. Uh, what What do you look for in a founder? Give Give us Give uh, us a pithy so answer, if possible. I wish. <laughs> I, 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 when I meet them, I'll know it. You yeah. know, it's it's truly that. It's uh, it's it's not so much the founder. I would say I try to look for one thing that I really like about a company. Usually, there's one thing that really compels me, whether it's a market, or in some cases, might be a really super technology. Um, or it may be the founder themselves, right? So it, amongst those elements, I'm trying to look for the one thing that compels me to do the deal. Sometimes all of them are kind of okay, good, but if I can't the one, the one thing that makes me want to really do it, I won't do the deal. So uh, I wouldn't say it's just in the founder, um, but it's, it's the whole element, the whole deal itself. Cool. It's, it's very hard. Again, for angels, yeah. it's very different. Like when I was at BDC, I had to justify in many different ways, right? And when you're a VC investor in an institution, it's it's quite different. Whereas as an angel, you can just, it's what you like. It's like dating. Like you've met somebody, you don't know why you like them. But you like, so you like. So it's like dating. Is 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 this is, 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 is synopsis we're going to have for a title for this podcast. <laughs> right. um, last question for both of you, because I just yeah, really appreciate your time. Um, so one quick advice for founders, given the current situation, if 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 you're if there's a few aspiring founders here. What's the one piece of advice they should know before they start a business? I can jump in first. Yeah. I would say this is actually a great time. Um, when there's opportunities for founders, when there's lots of change in the world, when things are changing, that's when you have opportunity because the big incumbents are being disrupted. They don't know what to do. They're lost. This is actually when the founders can get out and look for those opportunities, right? So I, I see this as a good time. Um, for, for founders. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried. That's why we're looking at deals. Like yeah. I want to see people who are thinking differently and see, well, no, the world looks different or can't have an opportunity to be different now. Right. And how do you leverage that? Mm -hmm. um, I would say ask for advice, not money. So that was advice I received a number of years ago and um, it's, it served me well. So, you know, right now you can be opening up doors, you can be networking, you can be connecting with investors, advisors, whoever, Tell them what you're working on, get them excited. Um, you know, you don't need to be at that traction point yet if you're not, but 
start building that relationship um, because, you know, six months out from now, if you're making good progress in, you know, this yeah. uncertain time, that's going to be recognized. And so it's just going to make your, your workflows that much, that much easier when you're ready to ask for that money. But, you know, when, when you really need the money and you just, uh, you know, you can't, it's like, you can't ask for the going, going back to the dating scenario. <laughs> you can't make the proposal yeah. before you've been dating. Uh, generally speaking, so <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll follow that. So ask ask for advice, not money, and money will come. Yeah, I love that advice. I think it's so true. And people hear it and they don't follow up on it. So Analia, uh, Analia, and uh, Jenny, thank you so much for your time. I know it's early morning in Vancouver, but we appreciate you coming on here. Thanks. Maybe, do a great maybe, job. Maybe, thank you. Maybe I'll see you uh, next uh, next, next week. week. Okay.